The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 277 going to continue our nfl draft preview with our fantasy football twist covering the deep wide receiver class and a little sprinkle of tight ends and in order to do so to help me preview it all you can find him on twitter at matt underscore underscore matt how we doing man i'm doing great thank you for having me i had a lot of fun the the first time i was on here talking dfs and now we get to talk the draft so i'm pumped man yeah, I'm, I'm totally pumped about it as well. And uh, you've been just awesome to get to know you uh, over the last few months and follow you on Twitter. And you are a Twitch machine. You're a college football DFS machine. You're a little bit of everything. So plug away. Let everybody know what you got going on. Yeah, so right now with kind of the absence of sports, I've just been hammering the draft home. After this, I plan on doing some college football previews and then previewing the fantasy season for the NFL. So hopefully we get that back in time. And let everybody know what's your Twitch channel. That is twitch.tv slash M-G-A-J-E-W-S-K-I-35. Sometimes yeah. it's just better if I spell out that last name. I'm with you. I understand. I have a crazy last name as well. So born and raised understanding that system. Um, I, I highly recommend people. Like if you like college sports, you like the draft. If you uh, if we get DFS back eventually, you play college DFS. Matt is a phenomenal source. I was shown him by some other people and uh, it's awesome. So Highly recommend that info there. And one of these days, he'll be on a, a big-time website, I have a hunch. Just going to throw it out there. But uh, for now, it's the Twitch world, and he's crushing it. Uh, let's get into it. Before we go wide receiver tight ends, like a half hour before we started recording this, uh, a little bit of breaking news, you could say. Took place in the NFL. Just a little splash, a trade of some picks. And Rob Gronkowski, out of retirement, to go join his boy Tom Brady, which I tweeted out the day Brady signed with the Buccaneers that, that this would happen, and it actually did. So. Usually my sarcasm is just usually sarcasm and goes into the void of Twitter. 
it actually came true, which made me laugh a little bit. But what's your thoughts here? You know, the, the Patriots get a fourth-round pick. They give up a seventh and Gronk to Tampa Bay. Any major takeaways from this little little blip for you? Well, first of all, that's pretty sharp by you. And then, I mean, looking at New England, it's kind of a, a win-win for them. Gronk said he wasn't going to play there anyway, so they get a fourth out of this. That's a pretty good deal for, you know, a, a team basically that was going to end up with nothing if Gronk's out anyway. As for the Buccaneers, I'm not quite sure what they're doing. They now have three prominent tight ends on their roster. They have to pay Gronk more than they're paying O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait combined. Gronk is now 31 years old. He lost, I it was somewhere like between 20 and 30 pounds after he, he left football to go do the wrestling thing. He says he's been putting the weight back on, but I don't know. There's just a lot of question marks here with that addition for Tampa Bay. I know the, the chemistry and everything, but there's just a lot of red flags with Gronk at this point in his career. It is a weird move. Like the, the salary alone is a little kind of takes you back and wonders what, what Tampa Bay's do. And you have to imagine OJ Howard was already kind of in trade talks to begin with. There's probably a good chance he goes somewhere now, maybe gets a fresh start elsewhere, and maybe they keep Brayton on to, to go between the 20s. Because I think what I see Gronk doing more of, like you said, the weight's down. He'll put some weight back on for sure. But let's not forget, you know, he's probably got some concussion issues that, he's, that we haven't completely – gotten a hold of the back's been an issue and that just doesn't go away I don't care how long you're you know you're out of the league eventually that might come back after a hit or two so I imagine Gronk you know he's super athletic but I could see him filling more of the the red zone target Antonio Gates type role towards the end of uh, Gates career which Brady will love Brady loves that big target in the end zone that's great I just don't think we see a lot of Gronk between the 20s uh, trying to you know stretch the field like he was doing at one point in time or a maybe a third down here or there, but nothing too crazy. So for me, obviously there'll be so much more analysis on this, but I'm not like running to go draft him. I kind of want to see where the next shoe drops in that Tampa Bay system, but it is interesting. And like you said, it's, it's a win-win for new England because they got a fourth round pick. They did not have before, which is going to be huge for a team. Let's face it kind of rebuilding. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> so, so yeah, I have to play nice cause I'm a dolphins fan. So people think I just hate the Patriots, which you know, I don't like the Patriots, but I respect the the run they had. But uh, let's go. Let's talk NFL draft here. The quarterbacks, running backs last week. We're going to hit the receivers up. There's so many of them. I guarantee listeners, we will not hit them all. It is going to happen because it's one of the deeper classes uh, in a long, long time. But we're going to highlight the, the main, you know, 10 to 12 or so. Hit on a few others. Matt's been tweeting up like crazy about all these talented guys. So we're going to get his thoughts on this. But let's just kick it off with uh, one of the big Alabama receivers, Jerry Judy. Uh, you know, a field stretcher, lots to love with Judy, lots to love with both Alabama receivers. But Judy in particular, what's your takeaway from him? Because we know by about pick nine-ish to 11, that's when the first receiver's probably going off the board, barring trades, and then there's going to be a run of them. So what's your thoughts on Judy? Yeah, so the, just speaking on the class before we we get to Judy quick, there it's a deep class, but there's kind of a big three at the top. So like you said, picks nine to 11 is kind of where we start seeing these guys come off the board. I think there's a pretty good shot. We do see one go top 10. Maybe there's a team trading up like Philadelphia, Denver, maybe even a team like Atlanta or Dallas is in the wide receiver market. And they're all picking kind of in the late teens. So I do think a trade up is possible, if not likely in this situation. But as far as Judy goes, he was the most productive receiver in that Alabama offense over 1,100 yards each of the last two years. They used him in a lot of interesting ways. So he he was used about 50% of the time in and out of the slot, and he produced a lot from that alignment. 
but I wouldn't say he's a slot only receiver in the NFL. He created the most separation out of any wide receiver in this class. So the true takeaway from Judy's, he's going to be more of your route running savant create on his own, which is going to be favorable for a lot of teams early in the draft this year. It's great the way you mentioned that there, because Alabama used him, like you said, out of the slot. I remember watching a lot of games. It would literally be a wide receiver screen. He'd bust between two guys before they could close on him, and he's like 60 yards down the field. He was so fast. They they knew how to get him in space very, very well. If it was either little quick hits like that out of the slot, or as you said, he, the separation he can cause. That's why I liked him as a, uh, you know, he stretches the field because he can blow past a corner and you can just throw it up and, and let him go get it at the same time. And I think, it, you know, we've seen the quarterback position kind of change to more athletic hybrid type quarterbacks here and there. You know, the running backs, we have, you know, you, you're receiving back, you're, you're a ground and pound. They haven't really, there's not a ton that do both, but they're starting to get there. Judy might be, we're, we got a few of them in this class, like you mentioned, kind of a hybrid, like he can move into the slot and be successful, go to the outside. Matt, as you know, playing DFS, we, we target teams that are susceptible on defense to certain spots in, you know, on coverage where a guy like Judy, maybe he's not just going to have to be on the outside. Maybe he can move in. He can move all over the field. And that kind of gives that value to him above the rest. So uh, the talent level is ridiculous with Judy. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes. Uh, the next big th- guy in the big three, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me on CD Lamb out of Oklahoma. Now, Judy and Lamb, there's a lot of similarities watching these guys play. At the same time, for me, I thought Judy was a little ahead of Lamb, but I totally understand the argument if someone has Lamb ahead of Judy. What's your thoughts on Lamb? Yeah, I have Lamb as my wide receiver one. He he just is a little more of your prototypical X receiver. He can play in the slot. He played there about 25% of the time last year. But he's someone who really was special creating on his own early in his career, used on special teams. He's someone that was used more downfield with a 13.2 average depth of target. And then he leads the class in force missed tackles per reception. So that's a pretty eye-opening stat. Usually you expect guys that are running low A dot, maybe screens and routes out of the slot to lead the class in that. But it was actually C.D. Lamb creating on his own downfield. There's really not a negative characteristic on his profile aside from maybe he's a little slighter in build, but I think he squashed a lot of those concerns just with a production from such an early age. I mean, he was producing on that field with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, all that just as age 18, age 19. So I think CD lamb is probably the top of this class for me. Yeah. And I I don't disagree with that at all. I I see both sides to me. They're very, very similar receivers. It's, it's literally going to come down to the team drafting who had a better interview maybe because these guys aren't getting as much time, you know, getting to know these players and checking them out and watching visits and all this stuff as they, they usually would. So it's really going to come down to who made the connection over the other possibly. That's how crazy it sounds. Both super talented guys, both big time uh, wide receiver one potential players coming up this year. And then for me, we're going to go up the rankings here. Number three is Henry Ruggs. Is he your number three or do you have a different big three? So early in the process, Henry Ruggs was not my number three. It's because of the production concerns. He was never higher than third on Alabama's pecking order in most major receiving stats. But as we got closer to the draft, of course, after the combine, we see the 4-2-7 speed and the 42-inch vertical. That certainly helps him. But what really boosts him here and what will probably keep him number three after the draft is the perceived draft drafts capital. So most teams have him as the number three 
speed is just such a coveted asset in the NFL that most expect rugs to come off in the same range as Judy and CD Lamb, where someone like Justin Jefferson might fall a little bit. So I think that keeps him a little bit higher just off that speed alone. And last thing I'll mention with rugs, when you draft him, similar to a player like Tyreek Hill, it's not always necessarily what he does when he's targeted, but he just changes how teams have to defend you so much. You can't run the same kind of coverage schemes with a player like Henry Ruggs on the field with the fear that he's just going to take the top off the defense. No, I like that point that you, that you mentioned, the ultimate route runner. We talked about the previous two guys are, are, are good route runners, but they're more just like, you know, they're going to create separation and everything where Ruggs is going to literally, you know, make it work for you. And you see in this era of the NFL where there's zone coverage, a lot more zone and, and these man-to-man packages where they're always adjusting things. Ruggs is a, a very interesting character there with his speed. I like the Tyree Kill idea behind it. Uh, there, there's a lot to like with uh, Ruggs there. When you look at those three with Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs, do you foresee – well, you have it Lamb, Judy, Ruggs. Do you foresee that, the order we're going here? Because when we're looking at the NFL draft right now, like I said, the Jags are at nine. That's a potential spot to go trade up to. But in reality, if there's no trades – most likely it's the Jets at 11 kicking off the receiving situation. How do you see these three guys kind of penciling out to start off the draft? I did a mock draft and I had them coming off the board, CD lamb rugs, and then Judy in that order. So you have Judy going to the Niners. I had uh, Judy. He, I had the Niners taking a corner and Judy actually made it to Denver. Ooh, that'd be big. Put him opposite court and Sutton. Oh boy. That would be something else right there. So I, I don't hate that at all. Uh, as we drop down after the big three now, we, we got some interesting ones to take a look at. You got uh, LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado. Uh, you know, two years ago, his sophomore year, he really blew up. Last year he had moments, but then, you know, you, you look and read everywhere that there's a lot of kind of – you either love him or you don't. It's like he, he doesn't break tackles or he, he kind of gives up here and there, but then he's also got electric speed. And he's very, very talented. What's your thoughts on Chenault? I love Chenault. And I think the biggest concern foremost has to be the injuries. So he plays with such a physical style. Some of that's due to his size. He's 6'2", 227. So he almost has a similar build to like a Saquon Barkley. But with that physical style, it's led to a lot of injuries. After the 2018, that 2018 season, that was his big year. He had to have surgery on a toe and a torn labrum. This past year, he dealt with a core muscle injury all throughout the season that he subsequently had surgery on after the combine. That caused him to run a little slower in the combine drills, too. We do know he's a highly athletic prospect. In that 2018 season, he averaged 112.3 yards per game. That is the highest among any wide receiver in any year among this class. It's also the eighth most yards per game for a receiver since the year 2000. And some of the other names on that list are like... Justin Blackman, Larry Fitzgerald. So it's pretty elite company in that one season he was actually performing on the field, not to mention very versatile slot outside wide receiver. They used him in line a little bit. They used him a ton as a wild wildcat QB. So I really do like Chenault. I think he can do it all. The main concern is just going to be health. And I, I have seen with that, you know, a lot of people were concerned with the, the surgery he had, but reports are already coming out pretty good. Um, you know, you got to have to kind of go off a of hearsay because obviously they're not getting their doctors on him, but things are pointing in a good direction that might move him back up the board. So he could be, a, you know, a jack of all trades type receiver that uh, people are looking for these days that could fit into certain schemes. Um, he'd be interesting because you mentioned 
the one year that he just went crazy. I remember that's how I got to know him was DFS. He's like, oh, yeah, go play Chenault in Colorado because Colorado was bad, very bad football team. But somehow he just kept tearing it up. So it was great and uh, got to know him quite well that way. You mentioned Justin Jefferson earlier. This is a guy that obviously Joe Burrow had a monster season. You had Chase, who's still in school. He had Jefferson and so many weapons there. Jefferson was lights out good. He's got like physicality that some of these other guys might not have as much of, but a very, very good receiver. I know he's linked to the, the Eagles quite a bit. What's your takes on Jefferson? I love Jefferson. When he, he came to LSU, he was actually the last scholarship in their 2017 class, so quite a nice get there by Ed Orgeron. But Jefferson, he primarily played on the outside in 2018 with Joe Burrow. And then, of course, in 2019, Joe Brady comes in to run that offense. They move Jefferson into the slot. And he has the just monster season with over 1,500 yards, 18 touchdowns. And he did a lot with that, too. He was running routes all over the field. He averaged 6.4 yards after catch per reception, forced 25 missed tackles. Both of those are near the top of this class. Also ran a diverse route tree. As far as draft position goes, I think Philly would really like to get their hands on him. But I do think there's a chance he's actually off the board before them. We mentioned all these teams that might be in the wide receiver market, kind of in the late teens, early 20s. You know, Minnesota's right there, just behind Philly. They have the two first-rounders. Do we see a trade-up situation for one of these elite guys? And I think some view Jefferson in that top three tier as well. So maybe not a top three, but a top four tier, including him. Jefferson would be a a great way to, I'm not going to say replace Stephon Diggs, because that's very tough to do. But uh, it could be a nice move there. I like the Tajay Sharp pickup that the Vikings had. I think he's kind of a maybe a new new change of scenery could help him out. The talent's kind of there. Just really never worked out for him in Tennessee. So you put him there. You obviously have Thielen. Go throw Jefferson in the mix. I don't hate it. Don't I don't hate that at all. So that could be a very interesting uh, move for them as well. Uh, next up is a guy I saw you tweeting about quite a bit. And another kind of controversial name. People either – it seems like as we've gotten closer to draft time – Denzel Mims has become more popular. I didn't really hear a lot of buzz about him early, but he's really starting to get it going of late that the Baylor wide receiver here, uh, super talented, of course, obviously the big 12's got those spread offenses that doesn't play much defense period. So you enjoy the points getting scored, but uh, what are you seeing in Mims? I know you've been quite active talking about him. Yeah. So people like Mims because of the size adjusted speed. He runs the 4.38 40 yard dash at the combine standing six, three wing 207 pounds. This is after he puts up a fairly productive season at Baylor. There went the most productive offense in the big 12 and he produced at an early age. So he's kind of checking all the boxes along the way, has a fantastic senior bowl. And then by the time he runs that 4.38, he's on everybody's radar. People, What they're kind of concerned about with Denzel Mims is he was really used in a limited fashion at Baylor. He ran all his routes on a vertical plane. His average depth of target was one of the highest in this class. But then you see yards like like yards after catch. He's not doing very well in there. Only 2.8, only seven missed tackles forced in the entire season. That's near the bottom of the class. And then some people take this as a positive, some as a negative. But 30% of his catches were in contested catch situations. So a lot of people take that as he wasn't creating separation. I think it's kind of twofold where Baylor really didn't ask him to do a lot, running all those routes in the vertical plane with an inaccurate Charlie Brewer throwing him balls. So I don't think he's quite in that top tier, but he's right there. I think a late day one pick, early day two pick is in the range of possibilities for Mims. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause I know we were talking about that on Twitter 
I was wondering with that stat, does it mean he's not creating separation or is he in that much coverage in theory, which there's a lot of ways to look at it, of course. You mentioned the quarterback situation at Baylor. That was ugly, especially towards the end of the season. It just got worse and worse. So my question for you, and it's probably a pretty simple question besides bring it up, when we're evaluating these wide receivers for the draft, you know, obviously good quarterbacks going to elevate guys. You know, Jefferson's still super talented, but Joe Burrow doesn't stink. We got two Alabama receivers. Obviously, you know, Tua and company were, were really – even the Tua's backup was great there. How do we – how do we assess these guys that had bad quarterbacks and try to get the best grade for them in theory? Right. So a lot of offenses don't do their, their players justice, but this is where we start to look at ratios of like entire offensive output. So Baylor as an offense was not really productive. And when you see Denzel Mims, just pure raw statistics, they might not look that impressive, but when you take them as a ratio of the entire offense, Denzel Mims still definitely checks the production box. And same thing for a guy like Jalen Rager when you see he had 611 yards, but in the context of TCU's offense, he was still a huge part of it. So that's what I like to do, just look at it in the context of whatever offense we're actually evaluating. All right, and that makes it, that makes a ton of sense. You mentioned Jalen Rager, you know, TCU, good team, not, not like a dominant, not going to be contending for a title team last year. But people are pretty high on him. They like his overall production, and maybe it is because – we're looking on the, the total package, not just what took place with in, in the team aspect, obviously. Um, what what do you see in Jalen Rager? Because he's a name that's been kind of moving up a bit of late. Similar to Mims, he has the really early production on his profile, an age 18 breakout, which is highly productive of future success at the NFL level. The thing that really hurt Rager this year was quarterback play. They were using Max Dugan, who's a dual threat. And then they were really using Rager kind of outside of his skill set a little bit. He ran 86% of his routes on the outside where he averaged 16.3 yards per catchable target, which is absurd. But the thing is, Rager, just 37% of his targets were accurate. That's a PFF stat. And that was despite him being open on 73% of his targets, another PFF stat. That is the biggest discrepancy we have in this class, and it really just speaks to how poor the quarterback play was there on top of Rager's skill set not really being utilized. I mean, this guy's 5'11", 206, and he's an explosive athlete. You should be trying to use him more like Jerry Judy and less like Denzel Mims. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a very, very valid point on that one. Um, I, I'm curious just to see how Rager and, and Mims, if, if – all the, the push-up is, is worth the squeeze type thing. But uh, they do seem super talented. I'm with you, and the athleticism's there. So the, the, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, let's go to Arizona State now. And this is one that uh, I'm really curious here because I wasn't overly sold on ASU as a whole, but also not sold on the total package with Brandon Ayuk. But um, another guy, they're talking you know late first round, early like 20s area. What's your thoughts on him? I do like him a bit. So he's a junior college transfer. He doesn't have a ton of production on the profile, and that's a big reason why. He was actually recruited to schools like Alabama coming out of JUCO to play defensive back, but he opted to go to what some consider a lesser school in Arizona State in order to stay at wide receiver. He kind of played second fiddle to Nikhil Harry for a year, and then he burst onto the scene in 2019 with a ton of production. Some of this is discounted because of, you know, he was used a lot on screens. He had 25 catches there. But I kind of attribute that to Arizona State also playing with a freshman quarterback. A lot of those kind of plays happened early in the year, and Ayuk was used more downfield. 
and showed a lot more diversity in his skill set as the year went on. You've heard rumors that some people view Ayuk as maybe a superior prospect to Nikhil Harry when Harry came out last year. I don't quite see him as that type of player, but I do think he might be discounted a little bit by people that are just looking at the raw box scores. Okay, interesting. Interesting for sure. That, that's a good way to actually look at the game tape and not just the numbers. So um, that that might stand out there. Hey, and some some of these players, we know how the draft goes. They might not have the most dominating college career, and they're going to be a lot better in the NFL. So there's things they'll see there. Uh, Penn State, K.J. Hamler. This guy was very explosive for a non-explosive um, a non-explosive team, per se. So what's your thoughts on uh, Hamler coming out and, and maybe getting a late first round, early second round type pick? I like Hamler, but there's just some incomplete elements to his profile. So he's tiny, first of all, 5'9", 180 pounds. That's about as small as you're going to see from an NFL receiver. He's basically a slot-only player because of that size, and that's where he played at Penn State. 88% of his snaps came in there. The The problem with Hamler is we've never seen him play against press coverage, and he's going to see that in the NFL. I couldn't find a single repetition of him against press coverage when he was out on the field. He also struggles with drops at times. He doesn't really use his size whatsoever when he's in traffic with some bigger body receivers. He kind of falls away a little bit. He's more of a downfield threat, and he's super explosive. He was used a ton on special teams. You'll see him make tons of plays down the field. So it's good to have that field-stretching element, and he is considered a 4.3-type prospect, although he didn't test at the combine. So I just think he's a little bit behind that first year we mentioned because we have some of the incomplete data points, like how he would perform against press coverage and stuff like that. All right. Uh, T. Higgins out of Clemson, a, uh, a kind of a physical guy, not super explosive. But obviously, in, in a very good Clemson offense there, so he, he shined against a, a probably a bad ACC division to help as well. But there's still some uh, some big talk about Higgins. What's your thoughts on T. Higgins? Right. So a lot of people viewed Higgins as a first round prospect, kind of at the end of the playoff even, and then we see him sit out testing at the combine. He tested his pro day, and it's very lackluster. So he's six four two oh five. Really slight build for Higgins as a downfield threat with little athleticism. He also just had 31 inches in the vertical. If you want to parallel him with someone like Michael Pittman, they're both 6'4". Pittman has 20 more pounds on him, and Pittman ran the 4.52 at the combine. Higgins ran a 4.58 at his pro day. So if you just look at the overall athletic profile for Higgins, there's very few successful athletes at the NFL level that look like Higgins, not to mention He's not one of these players that's really used in a diverse way. He was downfield most of the time here. 15.7 A dot, little yards after catch, little force missed tackles, wasn't used on screens. So it's really hard to say with Higgins, but the production kind of speaks for itself. And this is before even factoring in Higgins only saw 11 targets in the second half of games in the entire 2019 season. Clemson was beating on opponents that bad. You can only imagine the kind of production Higgins would have recorded had Clemson even been in remotely close games. That's a very good point because there were pretty much every game. It felt like Clemson was just purely rolling teams and, and not really much competition to be played there. So that, that's a great point when, when looking at that. You mentioned Michael Pittman, kind of a bigger version of T. Higgins. Would you have Pittman over Higgins? Yes, for sure. It's a, With Pittman, you don't like the one-year production. He basically had – he almost totaled his entire career of production in this in this 2019 season – 
but you can't really discount what he did. He was amazing on the field despite the late breakout age. But if you're looking for someone in that big, fast mold of wide receiver, like a six four plus, I it's hard for me to put T. Higgins over Pittman with his limited athleticism and slight build. All right, let's go to Notre Dame. Not the uh, you know big time program, obviously, but kind of a rocky up and down go. Sometimes they're they're you know run the ball more controlled game. Obviously, they have one of the best tight ends in the draft coming out, but uh, they can extend the field once in a while. And Chase Claypool was a major factor. He had some big, big games for Notre Dame throughout the season. What's your thoughts on Chase Claypool? Because he seems like kind of a man that's still looking for his identity at times. Right. So Chase Claypool, he is the big wide receiver tight end, whatever you want to call him. I don't think it matters because his role in the NFL is likely playing that big slot. He's 6'4", nearly 240 pounds, but he runs a 4.4240 yard dash, jumps 40 and a half inches. That is one of the most athletic players we've really ever seen at that size and certainly one of the most athletic players at this position. He kind of split his time in and out of the slot. Early in his career, he was more of a slot player, but he moved more to the outside this year. It comes down to production with him. He really only has one year of it with just the one 1,000-yard season, 13 scores. He kind of gets knocked for playing down to competition sometimes, but again, the Notre Dame offense didn't do him any favors. The one thing that kind of flies under the radar with him is he's an ace special teamer. So if you if you take him and he flames out, he's a very willing blocker and he's a very mean kind of player. All right, let's go to back to the Big 12 real quick. Devin DeVarnay, we saw him at Texas have just like, – he was the go-to target there for a while, and then injuries took place towards the end of the year at Texas and kind of – Things quieted down a little bit there, but he had some monster production there. Yeah, fast as all get up, uh, extending plays, good yards after the catch. What's your takes on DeVarney and how he could fit in the NFL? So speed's a coveted asset in the NFL, and he runs a 4.39 40-yard dash, 35.5-inch vertical. He's a little on the older side, but he played at Texas pretty early in his career. In 2019, they moved him into the slot, which is kind of how it's like the engine of Texas's offense. Prior to that, you know, Lil Jordan Humphrey played there. Some of you might know his name, but Duvernay heads to the slot. He racks up 105 catches, of course, as the monstrous season. But that's not to say he wasn't a, a producer earlier in his career. He had just five drop catchable targets in his entire career at Texas. So you can kind of parallel the targets and the receptions and see that Sam Ellinger wasn't necessarily the most accurate quarterback earlier in Duvernay's career when he was playing the Z role and more of a downfield receiver. So I don't think he's just a slot only guy. It's probably his best role, but that speed is going to be something teams look at probably on day two. All right. Uh, we've, we've hit up about, I'd say, 15 or so different receivers on this list. Maybe not all like Don, Donovan Peoples-Jones. We haven't mentioned uh, a ton of there's guys like uh, John Hightower, KJ Hill, Brian Edwards. What other uh, wide receivers are really standing out to you that might surprise people uh, in this draft class? Brian Edwards is a good one to point out. He didn't get to participate in the offseason process because he broke his foot, but he's someone who was producing at an early age at South Carolina. His first productive season occurred at age 17. That was while he was sharing a field with Debo Samuel. So that stood out to me. And he's a really good yard-after-catch kind of guy. South Carolina had one of the worst offensive lines in the entire country, like 119 out of 130 in sack rate allowed. So no time for the quarterback, and Edwards was still producing there. Peoples-Jones isn't a player I particularly like. He was the number one wide receiver recruit in his class, 
and he barely reached 1,300 yards in his career at Michigan. People like to point that point out that Shea Patterson is not the best quarterback, but Donovan Peoples-Jones still fell to third on that team in receiving behind Ronnie Bell and Nico Collins. So it's alarming to me that those two players could put up some numbers in Michigan's offense with Shea Patterson, but Peoples-Jones couldn't. So a little bit of a concern with me, even though he is the, the hyper-athletic receiver, 44-and-a-half-inch vertical is pretty crazy. Yeah, no, that those those are a couple more for sure. The Peoples-Jones one that makes me laugh because I've never bought into that Michigan offense to save my life. So I never understood the the love in that situation there. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how deep this goes. Just for fun, we'll go over your mock draft a little more, but how many receivers do you think go in the first round? I think it's going to be between five or six. Okay. I think the first three and Jefferson are locks, and then I think you'll see Ayuk, Rager, and Mims have a legit possibility to go in that late first round. There's a lot of suitors in that range. You think about, you know, like Green Bay's back there, Minnesota's back there, a team like San Francisco's back there. If they don't address the wide receiver position with their first pick they have in the first round, they pick at 31 again. So there's a lot of suitors in the back half of that first round. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways the receivers can go the more and more you look at it. I think that's why it's going to be interesting to see who maybe trades up into that uh, earlier part of the first round, maybe the top 10 somewhere, and see see where that goes because that could just start a whole just waterfall of, of situations going on there. But uh, let's get into the tight ends real quick. There's really not a ton I have to talk about. Maybe you have more. Um, I'm just going off of PFF's tight end rankings for the draft. Number one, they have Hunter Bryant out of Washington. The Washington offense, I, I, I talked about Jacob Eason last week. It, it had its moments. It was good. It wasn't electric. Hunter Bryant was very, very good in his time there at Washington. But what's your take on, on a guy like uh, Bryant? So Bryant profiles is more of your move tight end, more of a, you know playing in the slot. He's about 248, so he's a little bit more slight. He runs the 4.7440 yard dash, so that's that's fine. He meets all your athleticism thresholds. He doesn't have a lot of production on his profile. He tore his ACL and LCL in 2017, and then the subsequent year in 2018, he had to have a meniscus procedure, so kind of two lost years due to the knee, but he comes back over 800 yards this past year for Washington, and that primarily, I guess you'd call It's kind of like a Cameron Brait role as a receiving tight end, but I think he gives you a little more to an offense than maybe like a Cameron Brait but he's playing over half of his slots in the slot. That's probably what he's doing at an NFL level as well. No, that that, that makes more sense to why he'd be up there because um, it's not just, you know, the tight end in college, it's more the slot option as we see that developed more and more year after year in these NFL offenses. Uh, the next uh, guy that I have heard a lot about, he still didn't, you know, similar to Claypool at Notre Dame. I just was not impressed with this Notre Dame offense, but Cole Komet's a name that uh, you'll hear more and more as he seems to be kind of the prototypical NFL tight end, kind of a, it seems like a bigger guy that can block a little more, but still run some routes. What do you have on a Cole Komet? Yeah. So Cole Komet definitely profiles as more of your two way tight end. He's an interesting guy to look at because he's still fairly young, only 21 years old. And he was a two sport athlete at Notre Dame. So a scholarship baseball guy, a scholarship football guy basically would miss most of the off season program his first two years there at Notre Dame, but he he was a pitcher and he suffered an elbow injury. It kind of ended his career there. So 2019 is really the first season he's completely focusing on football. And maybe some of the production metrics don't stand out to you because he had a broken collarbone early in the offseason, missed a couple games. 
his first game back, he goes for 108 yards against Georgia. So he did stand out against pretty elite competition. He also played a lot of 2019 with a high ankle sprain, which is another pretty impressive, you know, just metric that he played with. And looking at how he tested a 4.7 athlete with a 37 inch vertical, there's a lot of athleticism here to work with, with Cole Komet. And I like him because I don't think he's, you know, his ceiling hasn't quite been met yet. An NFL offense could possibly turn him into more. So it's just a ceiling prospect. I think he gives you a little bit more than maybe one of the Bryants. No. Okay. That makes sense. Cause he seems like more NFL caliber to me when, when I did see him, that's one thing Notre Dame does do as much as I clown on their you know, non-explosive offense. They are much more of a pro style setup. So that gets these guys ready for the big show. Uh, what other tight ends stood out to you? You mentioned uh, another Bryant there. I remember Bryson Hopkins at Purdue. He had some decent games there once in a while out of kind of a slot and on the line at tight end. You know, Sullivan from LSU, he had his moments because everybody at LSU had moments. Uh, O'Grady for Arkansas was something decent as well. What kind of uh, spots did you uh, – or other guys do you see at tight end that might have an impact? Yeah, so Harrison Bryant, the kid out of Florida Atlantic – He's a little bit older, but he is the most production among the tight ends in this class. The problem with him is he's just 240 pounds, and he ran a fairly slow 40-yard dash. So there's there's not great athleticism here for a player that was primarily used out of the slot. He's also making a larger jump in competition coming from FAU, but he definitely does have the most production. A guy from Missouri, Albert Akwe Boonham, he's basically the opposite. He is one of the most athletic tight end prospects you're going to see, 6'6", 260, runs a 4.49 40-yard dash. The problem with Akwe Boonham is he could never actually produce when he was on the field. So it's kind of every one of these tight ends has one wart or another that you're kind of having to deal with. I think Akwe Boonham is going to go a little higher than some people expect because of the athleticism. Again, teams just coveting that. And I guess one more name I'll throw out there is a really late, deep guy is Devin Asiasi out of UCLA. If you're looking for another two-way tight end, he's 6'3", 260. He's initially a kid that went to school at Michigan and transferred back to UCLA. One year of production, but I think he's someone that could slip, and maybe you'll look to him in what is a, a really weak tight end class. Yeah, I'm curious for these tight ends, because obviously we can say it with all the position players, but with these tight ends, as, as I guess not as you know sexy a class as we, we'd like to say, with you know running backs are pretty solid. we got the quarterbacks, receivers, obviously – are crazy deep. It, it makes me wonder, this is like way more, where do they land? It is how I feel about these guys. You know, it, it works that way for all these players, obviously from a fantasy standpoint, but even some of these really talented receivers or running backs, as long as they get a chance in the system, in whatever system, they're going to be somewhat productive. These tight ends are going to be real interesting to see where they play out. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. You know, we've, we've seen tight ends of, in recent years, not we've, we've been hyped up on guys like Hayden Hurst and some others, and they haven't really gotten there yet. We're excited about them still, but it seems like they just take a little longer to get acclimated to the NFL process. So curious to see where that all pans out. But uh, I just pulled up your your mock draft 2.0. And for those curious, he's going to drop his uh, – Matt will be dropping his final mock draft on Thursday morning, correct? That is correct. Sweet. All right, so let's just have some fun with this. You got Burrow and Young 1-2. That's kind of what we're seeing. First off, you didn't do any trades, right? No, I didn't. Trades – the I think they're extremely hard to predict. Number one, we we saw about 10 of them go last year, and they were all outside the top 10, which is where things get pretty crazy. So I haven't been predicting in trades. 
All right. Now that makes a ton of sense. So you got Young, you got Simmons going to Detroit, which I like. You got Jared Willis. Do you believe any of this Giants talk about Herbert, or is this strictly they're trying to increase their value to trade up? I don't believe in the Herbert stuff for for the for the Miami Dolphins right now. I think if you're Miami, you know, they're now an, an analytically run franchise. If you're running any sort of analytics, you're going to see that Tua Tagovailoa is by far the superior prospect over Herbert. Herbert, I think, is a fringe first rounder on data alone, but the positional value warrants a pick probably in the top 10 still. It was rumored earlier in the offseason that, you know, it's tank for Tua for Miami. Miami loves Tua. And I think this is more of a smokescreen than anything. So I'm leaving Tua to Miami, but I don't feel great about it. All right. No, that's uh, I trust me. I've uh, I've been trying to avoid any Tua Dolphins talk on Twitter because I, I finally bought into Tua being a Dolphin. And then I see the Herbert talk and then I see people trading up for Tua and all these things. And it's it's scaring me because you kind of said it there is I'm not sold on Herbert. I think he was a good quarterback in college, but I just I don't understand the the love for Herbert this high in the draft. Like if we if they don't get Tua, I'd rather just wait and go get like Hertz or something later in the draft. Than, uh, than a Herbert. I know that might sound crazy to some, but uh, I'm not the biggest Herbert guy. But you have Herbert going to the Chargers. That seems like a fit for them because they do need a guy he can sit and watch for a little bit. Um, and then you have Okuda, great cornerback. You got worse Lamb. So you have Lamb, the first riders throughout the board, going to the Jags. What's your thoughts on that? So I really do think one of these wide receivers goes top 10, kind of reminiscent of the Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross draft. But Jacksonville, they do have a ton of needs. This is a team that's almost completely rebuilding now. They just cut Marquise Lee, if not yesterday, the day before. And I don't think DJ Chark is going to give you a completely well-rounded wide receiver core. They have D.D. Westbrook in the slot. What are they going to do on the other side? I don't see them getting one of the top three quarterbacks. And if they're actually going to go through this entire season giving Minshew a fighting shot, what better way than to actually give them one of the better wide receivers in this class? On the offensive line thing, a lot of teams will try to mock them in offensive line. They took one in Juwan Taylor last year, and they also invested a second-round pick in Cam Robinson. So maybe they try to run that out there for one more year and see if they can't make Cam Robinson work at the tackle position. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I like the idea of putting CD out there and giving him all the weapons. That seems like a very interesting option as well. you got Andrew Thomas tackle going to the Browns. They can definitely use some more line help. And then you got the Jets going D-tackle with Derek Brown out of Auburn. Not saying they don't need it. I just know I've seen receivers linked everywhere to the Jets. How uh, how fast and firm are you on the uh, the Jets going defense here? I'm, I'm not sold on it. I took a ton of heat for this when I released it. <laughs> but so the Jets have a lot of need. One of them's offensive line. They invested a ton in free agency into the offensive line. I also tended to lean this defensive tackle, Derek Brown, over wide receiver because of the depth of the wide receiver class. The Jets can pick up a starting wide receiver later in the draft, and the Jets might have one of the worst defensive lines in football. So Derek Brown, widely viewed as a top five selection just based on talent alone. The positional value, I don't think, warrants the selection that high, but I do see Derek Brown going off the board fairly high in this draft. No, I think it's, it makes total sense. I just haven't seen him any places, so I, I enjoy that little conversation for your logic there because it makes tons of sense to me. The Jets have a lot of holes, and that's one way to really help things out, get a good defensive line. We've seen that work for many teams as they become successful. It all starts in the trenches there. Uh, talking about uh, myriad of success, you have the Raiders, Henry Ruggs 
that's a very interesting pick there. We like that. Uh, CJ Henderson of the Niners. What's your thoughts here? Because I know a lot of people, it's either they're going receiver or they are going secondary because that's what's been beating them so bad. A lot of people don't see Henderson falling this far. But then again, if he does, seems like a good move. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Niners pick there? Yeah, so I'm not sold Henderson will be on the board at this pick for them either. Just the way this particular mock shook out, it's kind of similar to the Raiders. They're going to, or excuse me, it's kind of similar to the Jets. They're going to grab their wide receiver later at pick 31, or if they were to do a trade back, maybe sometime in the second round, there is a teardrop after C.J. Henderson at the cornerback position. So they're really landing the last of kind of that top tier corner. You real shut down man press corners here. And it's certainly a need with Richard Sherman aging. They've had limited success, kind of back and forth success on the opposite side of Sherman. Yeah, makes total total sense to me. And you got Tampa Bay getting Mekhi Becton, which makes so much sense when you just paid Brady and now you have Gronk there. You might want to protect Brady. So that's a phenomenal pick there. Uh, Jerry Judy, who we talked about earlier going to the Broncos, I think that could be crazy. Do you think um, as the draft goes on for the Broncos, do they go quarterback or do they stick with Locke this year? I think they stick with Locke. He did show a lot of promise at the end of last year, winning four out of their last five games. I don't know if that's the right decision, but if you're going to give him a fighting shot, again, surround him with weapons, see what he can do. No, don't hate that at all. Yeah, give him weapons. It's kind of like the the Jags with Minshew. Locke did show actually crazy good promise towards the end of last year. was in games that no one thought they should have been, so that was a lot to like there. Uh, it's similar to uh, some other picks here. You got Javon Kinlaw going to South Carolina. That's going to be a crapshoot going to the Falcons from South Carolina. Because I think the Falcons, I think you'll agree, are going to be on the move like crazy. So we'll have to see how that one goes. And then we go to the back half of the draft. You got Cowboys going, uh, Clavion Chason out of LSU. That can be scary good. You have Josh Jones going to the Dolphins. He's been linked to them in almost every mock. You got Jalen Johnson going to the Raiders, cornerback. A.J. Terrell, cornerback to the Jags. Two good moves there. Then you do have Jefferson going to the Eagles. Brandon Ayuk to the Vikings. If you th- Okay, let's have some what-ifs here. So I've seen those two linked quite a bit. Say Jefferson and Ayuk aren't available for the Eagles and the Vikings. Who do you think their wide receiver choice two would be? I think this is probably where Rager goes. If I had a lot of internal debate between Ayuk and Rager at 22. They have slightly different skill sets, and I almost think Rager might be a better fit for Minnesota, but ultimately I ended up going with Ayuk here. In the last mock, I might change that. Okay, no, that, that makes a ton of sense because there's a lot of kind of up and downs here with the, the receivers, as you've talked about. Then we go a little farther here. you got Patriots going offensive line. Shocker, just go with the best available player uh, with Austin Jackson. Saints going with the linebacker, which what they could really use and keeping the LSU boy close to home. you got Christian Fulton, cornerback to the Vikings. That could be sneaky nice. You know, they already got a receiver uh, early. Oh, no, that was their first pick. I thought they grabbed a receiver. I'm just going. Yeah, they got Brandon Ayuk. Now they go and get Christian Fulton. And then Cesar Ruiz at 26 for the Dolphins. As a Dolphins fan, I am very curious of, of this one because I don't disagree with it. You know, getting Jones, getting Ruiz, getting some protection for Tua's future and whatnot, I think it's very, very solid. They still have two picks in the second round to go make some noise. But a lot of people have them linked to, say, Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift or something else here. What do you see in maybe going Ruiz instead? I don't see the the running back being a major need for this team. So the Dolphins, they're rebuilding, Right. They spend a ton of capital and free agency this offseason addressing defense. You know, you bring in Byron Jones. You already have uh, the stud corner on the other side. Your defensive backfield looks actually pretty good. You invest in a ton of edge rushers, you know, Shaq Lawson, 
I believe uh, Emmanuel Ogba is there, if I'm not mistaken. And then they have Charles Harris, who they spent a high pick in, too, formerly. So that leaves a ton of needs on offense. You already took a QB into a Tagovailoa in this situation. You already took Josh Jones on the offensive line. Now you can really hit the interior. And Cesar Ruiz, I think, is the best interior offensive line prospect in this draft. There's, of course, the positional value thing with interior offensive line just not being as important as tackle. But every year we do see one or two kind of your real difference makers at that position go in the first round. And I think this makes sense for Miami having already took Josh, Josh Jones. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, it does make sense. That's why I, I like the idea there uh, behind that one. I just haven't seen it anywhere. So it's very interesting to me. Uh, the Seahawks go Isaiah Wilson uh, offensive line makes sense as well. Ravens going Kenneth Murray, linebacker, another one that just makes way too much sense. Titans going Jeff Lady at corner. Green Bay going Trevon Diggs at corner. I, I, I'm with you. I think it's either a defensive back or a wide receiver. If you had to, obviously you picked Diggs here. What do you think the likelihood of a receiver is instead of a cornerback? So it's it's a deep receiver class. And then Green Bay has taken a ton of corners early. So Kevin King, Josh Jackson, Jair Alexander, those are all day one, day two picks on the corner position. They lost Tremont Williams this offseason, and Kevin King is a free agent next year. So whatever you think of Kevin King, maybe they re-sign him, maybe they don't. In the event they don't, they're kind of getting a leg up on that need right now with Trayvon Diggs. Then you have a deep wide receiver class. Maybe you hit a guy like Chenault in the second round and still give Aaron Rodgers, you know, in most drafts, maybe a fringe day one talent at the position, a contributor right away. No, that makes sense as well. And then you got Jalen Rager, wide receiver going to the Niners, as you mentioned, uh, as a good fifth option here. Then Xavier McKinney, a solid safety going to Kansas City. All right, let's have some more fun with this. Um, I think a name that we've seen floated around everywhere, and some think it's crazy, some get it, Jordan Love. Some I knew this was he, coming. Yeah, I, I got to ask because he did a mock here, and we're not doing trades, but you've heard the same things I've heard. Teams are talking. There's rumors, you know. Some team will trade up to the back, go all out Lamar Jackson, get the the extra years of control, but for a cheaper price tag. What's your thoughts on Jordan Love? Jordan Love is not a day one prospect by basically any metric you look at. Just to point out a few. So first thing I want to address the concerns people have with with Jordan Love, saying he didn't play with a good supporting cast, and that is true. But he's not known for his accuracy. And when you find a stat, like the one I'm about to mention, when his wide receivers were wide open downfield, so this is a stat charted by PFF, 14% of Love's passes were uncatchable. This is when targeting open receivers, not not any sort of just normal target, wide open receivers, 14% uncatchable. That is among the highest in this class. And for reference, guys like Tua, Joe Burrow, and, you know, even Justin, no, Justin Herbert's pretty high in that too, but even Joe Burrow and Tua, they're around 5%. So right away, he doesn't grade out as a, a day one prospect. And then if you just look on average where quarterbacks go in the NFL draft, QB3 comes off the board around pick 27, 28 on a year over year basis. QB4, where most slate Jordan love to go, comes off the board at pick 48.8. I feel like we do this every single year with Will Greer, Mason Rudolph, Deshaun Kaiser, Bryce Petty, you name the quarterback, Drew Locke even from last year. They end up going later than we expect, and it happens on a year-over-year basis. I think him going in the second round, you know, if you're looking at props, it's one of the best values right now on the board. I like it because I've, as much as I'm not a big fan of Herbert, I just don't understand the the Jordan Love love at all. I, I don't get it. I really don't. Uh, I, I know he's athletic, and that's what these teams are trying to go to now, maybe a little more athletic. But 
if he still can't throw the football, I don't know what the point is. So I, I'm not I'm not sold on that. Like, would you rather Jalen Hurts or Jordan Love? Jalen Hurts. Yeah, me and you are 100% in sync there. That's why, as a Dolphins fan, like if they don't go Tua at five, I'm I'm fine with that as long as they go and get Hurts in the second round. Like, get one of those two, and I'm cool with it. But um, you're, you're playing with fire if you're hoping Hurts sixth round and makes it work. You should be there for that first, second round pick, but you never know. Crazier things happen in the draft. Um, one final thing for you. we got a listener question here from Nathan Coleman at Jayhawk Chalk. Which wide receivers on day three have the most upside? He's saying, tell me why people like K.J. Hill. Who do you think is a good day three, basically round four or later, wide receiver? People shouldn't like K.J. Hill. He's non-athletic and only plays the slot. I think <laughs> if you're looking at a pure day three guy, you should look at some of these field stretchers. Quez Watkins and Darnell Mooney are kind of discount K.J. Hamlers. Quez Watkins runs the 4.3540 or dash. Darnell Mooney runs the 4.38. They're going to give you more of that vertical element to your offense. And I really do think they are discount KJ Hamlers. If you're looking for more of your size adjusted speed, Joe Reed out of Virginia is kind of of a darling of mine. Six feet, 224, runs a 4.4740 yard dash. Not always the best quarterback play with Bryce Perkins in Virginia, but Joe Reed was active on special teams. He forced 15 missed tackles on just 78 receptions. So he's a guy who can definitely do stuff with the ball in his hands. And those are the three I'll mention. Yeah, I appreciate it. And with that, Matt, it is always a pleasure chatting with you. Plug away your Twitter handle and anything else you want to let people know to find that you are doing right now. So on Twitter, I am at Matt underscore Gajeski doing a ton of work on Twitch. All those videos also go to YouTube. As soon as the draft is over, we're going to gear more towards NFL and college football previews with you know, not quite knowing when DFS will be back, but in season, that's my main focus. Yeah, I can't wait for it. Everybody, like I said, he's one of the best out there. Super informative, as you can tell on the shows that he's been on with me. And just go check his stuff out. It's great. And as always, Matt, thanks for joining me. I look forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. No problem, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 277. Wide receiver, tight end, preview, and more for the NFL Draft with Matt Kajewski. Catch you guys later.